When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, I'm Anna Machen. Welcome to Why, the podcast answering scientific riddles and searching for mind-blowing discoveries. Our perception of time is elastic. The week of your annual holiday flies by in a whirl of beaches and cocktails. But the first day back at work positively crawls by and your holiday and the relaxation it engenders seems to be a long time in the past. Most scientists and philosophers tend to agree that time is a measurable, observable phenomenon. However, one of the most influential philosophers of the 18th century, Immanuel Kant, proposed that time only exists because we exist and is more accurate to describe as perception, not a concrete reality. But in 2020, scientists in America identified neurons within our brain which fire at set time intervals, enabling us to encode time and making sure we remember past events in the right order. In addition, every cell in our body is tuned to the 24-hour rhythm of the circadian cycle. If this is the case, surely no one could deny time is a definite construct. Today on Why, we're asking... Is time real? Maybe, you know, time really does disappear, not just in physics, but completely. Sam Barron is Professor of Philosophy at the Australian Catholic University in Melbourne and one of the authors of Out of Time. Time is not sort of fundamental. It's not turning up in fundamental physics. But look, lots of stuff doesn't turn up in fundamental physics, right? You look into physics, you don't find cats and dogs either. When I think about time, one of the ways that I think about it is as a sequence of states. So, you know, you take a physical system and you can look at the way that that system is sort of spread out in space, but you can also look at the way that the system occupies different states through time. And time is the sort of dimension through which physical systems occupy different states. And when we think about time in that sense, we can also think about it having a kind of parameterization or a kind of metric or in other words a kind of distance so we talk about the distance between events or the distance between things and time is one of the things that gives us a meaningful notion of distance of course we've got spatial distance but we also have temporal distance so the way in which you might say you know your birthday was six months ago that's a sort of notion of distance which is analogous to a kind of distance claim you might make when you say you know singapore is to the west of where i am now Another way to think about it is we can think of time as a kind of dimension through which we move through. So we're used to thinking of space as a dimension through which we move through. You can sort of move up to the right, down, left, right. You've got these different ways of moving, but we also move through time. You know, you're moving into the future, getting older, getting closer to events that are going to happen and getting further away from events that have happened. And so we can also think of time like space in that sense as a direction through which you can move. So we're looking at it in terms of 
something you move through and something that places things in a sequence, which enables you in some sense to orientate yourself. Yeah, that's right. Orient ourselves and also orient other things in relation to ourselves, right? So we might want to talk about, you know, we, we make claims like the Big Bang was so many billions of years ago, but in order to make sense of that claim, in order to make that claim at all, we have to have some measure by which we actually talk about the distances between things. And time is one of the things that gives us that measure. There's a nice quote, or it's often attributed to Einstein, but there's this idea that time is what stops everything from happening all at once, right? So you know, think about all of the events in your life. They can't kind of all happen at once. They have to be spread out in order to happen in a sequence. And time is the thing that makes that possible. And that's sort of different to the way that space works. You know, space is not sort of making it the case that lots of things can't happen at once. All things sort of happen at once in space in some sense, but in time it sort of allows for different events to happen at different moments, which is an important thing for, you know, keeping the universe from collapsing all of the things into one one sort of event. So you mentioned Einstein there, obviously God of physics. We've all heard of Einstein and he's got a very famous theory known as the theory of relativity. And the idea behind that is actually time isn't fixed. It can expand, it can dilate, it can contract depending upon your speed and the association with gravity. So can you explain just a little bit what time dilation is? What was Einstein arguing time is capable of doing? Yeah, so the the basic idea is that different people at different sort of relative velocities are going at different speeds roughly relative to each other. They're going to divide up the events around them or divide time up in slightly different ways. So, for instance, it, you know, we're here on the Earth and we think about someone sort of zooming past the Earth on a spaceship and they're going so much faster relative to us. You know, we're relative to the Earth, we're at rest and for them, relative to the Earth, they're at quite a high speed. And if we sort of imagine some distant event in, in the stars, like say a supernova somewhere, far away and you know we're looking at that supernova and they're looking at that supernova what we will see is that we will sort of record when that supernova happens at different times because of the relative velocities that we're going at and so you know you sort of intuitively think that when an event happens it kind of happens at the same time for everyone everywhere but it turns out that when an event happens depends very much on how fast you're going one really nice metaphor that i like for this is that Before Einstein, when we were using sort of Newtonian physics and thinking of the world in those terms, we sort of imagined the universe as a giant clock. There was one time parameter or one clock that governed everything and everything was sort of ticking away at the beats of that clock. So if I sort of looked at what was happening here and I looked at what was happening, say, in Alpha Centauri very far away or for someone who's traveling very fast, as long as we sort of like coordinate on the big clock, we know exactly when things are happening and we can agree about events. But when we get to relativistic physics, what happens is this one big clock sort of gets shattered into all of these different clocks. In fact, we're all carrying around our own clock with us that ticks away our particular timeline, but our clock is sort of ticking at a different rate to anyone else's clock. And so we can no longer really agree on which events are happening when. And in fact, there's no fact of the matter. There just is no giant clock that says, look, here is exactly when these events are happening. All we can really go on is our different individual clocks and just comparing them and go, okay, well, things seem to happen at a different time for you versus for me. And there's not really any sense in which we can reasonably say, oh, well, you're right and I'm wrong or anything like that. We just sort of disagree about when things happen. And that's just the way that things are. 
One of the implications of that, which gets back to the point about time dilation, is that things, a sort of sequence events that happens for me might, from your perspective, happen much slower or much faster, depending on how fast you're going, right? So just very simple example of this, if I get in a spaceship and leave at a high speed and come back, my clock might tick quite slowly. So I might age, say, a year or two years but the clock on Earth might go for a thousand years. And so what you might find is that by the time you've come back, a huge amount of time has passed because your clock slowed down relative to a different clock. I mean, that's just another way of saying really that when you travel, you carry your clock with you and you sort of leave the clock at the original point behind. And so now that they've come apart, they can just tick at different rates. And so yours can slow down relative to the one on earth, which can make these big disparities in between when things happen for two people. People might be slightly aware of this. They might have seen the film Interstellar which gives us an example of this this difference in time and the fact that one person might age and one person might have seen a thousand years and one person might have only seen a year, for example. Yeah, that's right. And what's sort of interesting, so here we're, we're touching a little bit on the difference between two of Einstein's theories, so special relativity and general relativity. So in special relativity, we can sort of talk about the different rates at which things happen for different observers moving relative to each other. But what general relativity includes, which you don't have in special relativity, is an account of gravitation and gravity at large scales. And it turns out that the strength of a gravitational field. And so the gravitational field is just like the gravitation that is very roughly caused by a large object sitting somewhere. So we on Earth, we are in a, the gravitational field of the Earth. That's what keeps us stuck to the thing. And as you move into stronger and stronger gravitational fields, your clock will start to tick at different rates. So this is another way to get this same effect of clocks sort of ticking away different lives for different people. And so in Interstellar, what happens is that they go and hang out near a supergiant black hole. And a black hole's got a really strong gravitational field. And what that does is it makes the clocks for the people who are circling the black hole tick really slowly compared to the clocks for people on Earth. So what happens is a, a few hours pass for them, but 80 or I think 100 years pass for people on Earth. So what that means is that the, sorry, spoiler alert, the main character ends up being uh, younger than his own daughter because she ages at a different rate because she's on Earth and he circles a black hole. Now, getting to what you argue, there are two kind of at the moment ideas about how to look at time in the universe and, and all those sorts of things. So we've got those big gravity models the Einstein relativity models, and we've got quantum mechanics, which I imagine everyone's heard of, which is all about tiny, tiny little particles. And ultimately, the idea in physics, as far as I understand, is actually we want to find a theory of everything that kind of covers both those areas in one lovely, lovely equation. But it's when you try and put those two different perspectives, sort of the micro and the macro together, that time starts to become a little bit troublesome. Can you explain why that is? So we've got these two big theories, general relativity, quantum mechanics, and we want to be able to do is sort of combine them and give a quantum story about gravity. So we want to be able to tell basically how gravity works at extremely small scales or super high energies. So when we're, you know, getting the large hadron super collider and we're smashing atoms together to get subatomic particles, looks like we should be able to tell a story about how gravity works in that domain. But in fact, general relativity just 
doesn't work when we try and apply it to that story. And quantum mechanics can't give us a straightforward sort of generalization that can handle gravity. So we have this apparent conflict between these two theories. One of the sources of the conflict, arguably, is time itself. So in some ways that people think about quantum mechanics, the way that people think about time in quantum mechanics looks a lot more like time before we got to general relativity. So it looks like maybe quantum mechanics thinks about time in terms of a single clock ticking away the universe in the way that sort of we thought about when we were thinking about Newtonian physics, whereas general relativistic physics doesn't work like that. As we've discussed, it's got this sort of more you know, flexible notion of time. And those two notions of time sort of don't play well together. And if we're trying to bring these two theories together, it turns out that when we try to, we get this potential conflict arising because they're operating with like slightly different notions of time. So one way to solve that conflict is to eliminate time completely. So just sort of build a new theory which doesn't have time in it, which manages to describe the universe. But of course, that's kind of radical. If we're taking our physics to no longer rely on time, then it turns out that in some sense, time is not part of the fundamental furniture of the world, as we used to think. And that's surprising. I mean, it's hard to think of something more basic to our everyday lives than time. And so finding out that it might not exist is a sort of striking thing to discover. Yeah, I can imagine our listeners now sitting there thinking, hold on one second, because from our experience, we quite clearly move through time. So there's a yesterday, there's a today, there's a tomorrow. And that's all marked by, for example, the rising and the setting of the sun. So is that not time then? So let's take on board the idea that maybe time goes away when we start really getting into these these strategies for unifying quantum mechanics and general relativity. And then we can sort of think about two options for what to say about that situation. Because as you say, it sort of seems kind of crazy, right? You know, I planned for this meeting today. So how can it be that time doesn't exist, right? And I think there's one option, which is to say that, look, time is not sort of fundamental. It's not turning up in fundamental physics. But look, lots of stuff doesn't turn up in fundamental physics, right? You look into physics, you don't find cats and dogs either, right? But we don't then go, (laughs) oh, God, cats and dogs don't exist. We didn't find them in physics hanging out down with the subatomic particles. So, you know, in some sense, we're used to discovering that things that we took for granted are not part of the world as physics describes them. So, you know, you could take a similar view of time, which is to say, okay, physics doesn't need time, but maybe we still do. And so maybe it sort of arises in some non-fundamental way. So that's one option. Another option, which is the option that I've defended in my work, is that maybe, you know, time really does disappear, not just in physics, but completely. And that maybe what physics is telling us is not just that, you know, there's no physics at the fundamental level of the world, but time has just gone completely. And then it really is kind of hard to understand our everyday lives. But I think that there are sort of other things that we have that we can use to explain how it is that we think about time in our everyday lives. So one of those things I think that's super important is causation, the way in which we do something that brings about another thing, or the way in which indeed there are events that cause the sun to rise and cause the sun to set. And I think that a lot of our thought and talk about time can just be sort of recaptured in terms of the effect that one thing has on another and in the effect that objects have on each other without needing some extra dimension or extra system in which to understand those effects. And if that's right, then maybe we can get rid of time completely and replace it with something something else, something a little bit different, namely the like impact that each thing has on another thing. So those are sort of two options. You mentioned that 
again, that what you argue is not just that time isn't compatible with physics, but we actually have to say time isn't compatible anywhere in the world. And as a, a biologist, obviously, I maybe struggle with that a little bit because obviously, as a neuroscientist, we know that there are cells which encode time. So that enable us to put our memories in kind of the correct order, at very least. You know, you remember your earliest two-year-old years before your 21st birthday, for example. So it seems clear that there are cells in our body, there are neurons in our brain that have a concept of time. Can you explain that within your argument of cause and effect? Yeah, I, I think you can. I think what you have to do is sort of undertake what I think of sometimes as a kind of reconstruction project. So it is clear that a great deal of the things that we say, the things that we do, and the way that science outside of physics works is that it uses you know, temporal notions. Just take, you know, a neuroscientific picture of the, the mind or, or the brain. And what you'll see is that things like the rate of neural firing over time is like super important, it turns out, for explaining certain kinds of perceptual experiences or perceptual differences that we have within our visual field. So, you know, on the face of it, you've got this, this really difficult project of trying to recover all of that science and all of the things that we do in our day-to-day -day lives. And I think that you can do it and I think that you can do it by focusing on causal notions, because what's striking about a lot of that is that, it, and particularly when you're thinking of it in terms of scientific terms and biological terms, a lot of what you're actually looking at is a causal sequence, a process. You know, you're looking at one neuron causing another neuron, or you, you're looking at stimuli that cause neurons to fire, which, you know, create patterns of neural firing throughout the brain. And you can sort of, you've got this although extremely complicated, potential causal story to tell of how this all works. So if you want to account for like you know, chemical reactions inside a cell, well, that's a sequence of causal changes as well. And so if we can have these sort of causal sequences, it looks like we can do a lot of what we think we need time to do, but without sort of taking time to be a thing, an object through which all this is happening. Rather, what's happening is you've just got the causal events and that's the way that the universe is structured rather than there being some extra dimension through which it all happens. I suppose what's troubling me a little bit is that even the idea of causation suggests that things have to happen in the correct order. So you can't have the effects happening before the cause, for example, which suggests that there is a sequence through time, that one thing has to happen before the other thing happens. You can't just swap them around because then it wouldn't happen. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. And I think one of the things that philosophers have been super interested in is how causation works and whether what you just said, that causes sort of always precede their effects in time, is true or not. And I think on the face of it, it looks like this is the case because a lot of the things that we, the way we describe the world is we describe it in these causal terms. But in fact, if we think about the way that causation works, there's nothing really stopping causation from happening in the other direction. One way to think about this, which is a sort of fun way to think about it, is in terms of time travel. So if we think about a time travel case and you think about stepping into a time machine now and popping out of a time machine, say, a hundred years in the past, in that case, what's happening is that the cause is happening after the effect. So we usually think about causes happening before the effect, which was the sort of situation you gave me. But in that kind of case, the cause actually happens after the effect because the effect is happening a hundred years in the past. And so if that kind of case is 
plausible. And if time travel can happen, and I think it can, and I think general relativity suggests that it can, then it looks like that puts pressure at least on this idea that causes have to happen before their effects. It looks like they can happen after their effects in some cases. And that already, I think, starts to pull causation apart from time. And one of the things that I've been really focused on in my work is like pulling them apart even further. It's like, well, look, if causes don't even have to happen before their effects, maybe causation and time don't have to be sort of necessarily connected at all. And so one of the things that I've argued is that that causation can actually happen without time, that you don't need to have time at all. All you need to have is a sort of basic notion of causation by virtue of which one thing brings about another, but it doesn't have to be unfolding in time. It can be unfolding just sort of in and of itself as a causal process. First of all, what I find fascinating is you do think time travel is viable. So that's kind of blowing my mind a little bit. The other thing I'd say is there seem to be like lots of ifs. So if time travel is possible or if this is correct. So this is all very theoretical. Do you think we'll ever be able to test your ideas to see whether really what you're arguing is the case? I think testing some of the ideas that we're talking about in general is super hard. So the sort of physics that we're talking about, this physics that you know, might arise in a realm where we have, you know, really high energies or super small scales at which both quantum and gravitational effects are in play. There is a general problem with all physics in this area, which is that although we've got theories, we don't have any way to experimentally test them. We are very much in the realm of the theoretical. That doesn't mean that the, the ideas are sort of untestable in principle in every case. And one thing we have to think about, I think, particularly with philosophical ideas, is that they're usually not tested in and of themselves. So we don't usually sort of have a philosophical theory and then go out and do a scientific experiment and see whether the philosophical theory itself is true or false. But what you will have is a scientific theory with philosophical assumptions embedded or baked in. And when we test a theory, we don't just test the scientific component, we test the philosophical assumptions and the philosophical component. With respect to time travel, I think that this is physically possible, even travel into the past, and general relativity has models of it. as a construct means different things to different people. The theory here is that it's more about movement for your life and time is elastic, not a constant. So in many ways, what we would call time isn't real. But I'm wondering what are the moral implications of there being no time? Could we duck out of responsibility for bad things we did in what we would call the past? It's a good question. And you might think that the loss of time is a kind of get out of jail free card. Because look, if the past doesn't exist, well, you know, you didn't just murder that person because yeah, there I is no there. past. It was right? me. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's yeah, right. Yeah, time yeah. is an illusion. Yeah. I mean, you know, try standing up in a court of law with that one, right? Your Honor, I didn't murder them because time doesn't exist. Probably you won't get very far. And, you know, there's something interesting there. I think that even if people generally come to the view, say, that time doesn't exist because of like these views about physics and stuff, everyone is still going to talk and act as if time doesn't exist. And so for those reasons, I think people just continue to hold each other responsible and hold each other morally responsible in particular. At that point, you sort of, you then have to think about, well, what is the reasonable basis upon which you can do that if you can't do it in terms of time? And I think you can, again, do it in terms of causation. So, you know, when we're thinking about legal responsibility, actually a huge part of what you do in the law is determine 
who was causally responsible for a particular event and to what degree, actually, in some cases. So if we can recover a lot of what we're doing in terms of causation, then I think that that allows us to have the sort of normal moral thought and talk that we had before. If we kind of decide to take on board the idea that time doesn't exist, bearing in mind how embedded it is in our senses of self and in the concept of our environment and how we orientate ourselves in our own life course, is there a risk that this could really affect your mental health? Yeah, I mean, it turns out that a lot of things that we talk about in philosophy might be bad for your health. There are arguments of the kind that like, there's not even an external world outside of your own mind, right? And there are arguments of that form that go back uh, you know, a couple of thousand years. And that's a very unsettling thought, right? That nothing is real except for you and everyone around you is a kind of illusion. So, you know, philosophy in general to be treated with care. But I think you're right that there could be potential implications for people if they like feel unsettled by this. And it's interesting that I do get uh, quite a few emails of this kind, right? So I get people reaching out saying, look, I'm really worried about the world because of the way that you know, you see time being talked about in philosophy, I'm like scared, I'm unsettled, all this kind of stuff. But let's suppose that we sort of all just get on board with team, no time. It doesn't mean that you have to live a different life. They don't always, those two things, there's sort of a a few steps between those two things. And at the end of the day, you've got to just sort of live your life as is best for you in response to this kind of information. Some people are really obsessed with time. They define themselves by their ability to maximize productivity every second of the day. And I just I just wondered whether what the impact on their sense of self, but also on the world order, if we all suddenly went, right, okay, time doesn't exist, you know, no point planning anything, let's just go with the flow, sort of thing. It, it might be slightly chaotic. Yeah, I think it would be totally chaotic. I think that, you know, if you go, oh well, time doesn't exist, but then, you know, a ball hits you in the head, right? Because Turns out the causation still exists, right? Things still cause other things. And then you go, you work forward from that. You're like, well, if things still cause other things, well, I'm still going to get hungry. I still need to do something to fix that. I still need to cause myself to have money. I still need to cause my friends and family to be happy. You still have agency. And that's the important point. Even if time doesn't exist, I don't think it eliminates agency, either moral agency or practical agency, because I think that those notions of agency don't themselves rely on time. Rather, what they rely on is action and your capacity to make a difference to the world. And what I'm saying is that even if time doesn't exist, you can still make a difference to the world. You can still cause things to happen. I'm Ros Taylor with news of Oh God, What Now?, the politics podcast that's never going to leave its voter ID at home. On Friday's show, it's six months until the US election and Donald Trump is stuck sitting on trial in a New York courthouse. Is he bulletproof or can Joe Biden turn around the polls? In the second half, it's local elections week, but we've steadily taken power away from local authorities. What if we gave it back? And in the extra bit for supporters, is there a right level of ruthlessness in politics? That's Oh God, What Now? with me, Ros Taylor, Raphael Baer, Hannah Fern, guest Nikki McCann-Ramirez, out now, wherever you get your podcasts. So, if time doesn't exist, we still have a role in the world as cause and effect remains. We are still responsible for our lives and can make an impact. Also, time travel isn't out of the question. That's all from us today on Why. 
thank you to Professor Sam Barron. Well, thank you very much for having me. It was a pleasure to be here. We'll be back with more scientific anomalies, conundrums and weird facts soon. Don't forget to follow the podcast so you don't miss an edition. And follow us on social media too. Links are in the show notes. I've been Anna Machen asking... Why? See you next time. Why was written and presented by Anna Machen. The lead producer was Anne-Marie Luff and the audio producer was me, Jade Bailey. The managing editor is Jacob Jarvis and the group editor is Andrew Harrison. Artwork is by James Parrott. Theme music is by DJ Food. Why is a Podmasters production. Podmasters.